You're listening to episode 418 of the UAV Digest. I'm Max Flight. And I'm David Vanderhoof. Happy New Year's to all of our uh, listeners around the globe. Ready for a 2023 year. Yeah, Happy New Year, everybody. We've been sort of away for a little while, Dave, David and I. Uh, it's been a while since we've had an episode. I think it's been a oh, a combination of family and COVID and holidays and all kinds of things that have uh, conspired to keep us away. Yeah, when life gets in the way of podcasting, it's kind of annoying, but it happens. It does. So we've got some interesting topics. We've got using drones for weathered prediction, tracking warehouse inventory with autonomous drones, an FCC NPRM for UAS communication spectrum growth, Walmart delivery drone statistics, underwater drones to detect ocean carbon, hardening the electrical grid from aerial attacks, and cargo delivery to moving ships. So I think we should get started, Max. We've got a lot of catching up to do. Let's get started, David. Well, our first story comes from EOS.org. Drones make weather prediction easier at the poles. Researchers are using a Mavic Mavic 2 drone to measure the Arctic wind speeds. It's pretty much out of the box, Mavic 2. Uh, The only modification is they added a uh, a sensor, a a thermal anemometer, actually, an inexpensive, lightweight one to measure wind speed. Now, they can use meteorological UAVs to take wind measurements, but they're usually very expensive. And in this case, a simple anemometer on a commercial UAV is a real good, low-cost solution. And the Japanese National Institute of Polar Research is flying the drones from a research vessel. Weather prediction relies on wind speed and directional data from the boundary layer of the atmosphere. So forecasters can get that data from, a weather, from weather stations, but data is sparse at the polar regions. Could that be because it's cold and nobody wants to be there? <laughs> I think it has something to do Drones with it. Drones can fill in that data and get into hard-to-reach locations. So evidently, the Mavic 2 is capable of flying in cold conditions, Max. That's kind of impressive. Seems to be doing well. A uh, postdoctoral fellow at the University of Oklahoma, Brian Green, who was not involved in this project but has used drones in the Arctic in he says they're reusable, they're cheap, they're portable, and they're able to reach areas of the atmosphere that we don't typically have access to with our normal everyday sampling techniques. So these drones, I think, are you know are filling a, a void in the data. And of course, as we know, weather prediction is all about data. It's all about measuring winds and speeds and directions and things like that. And um, stirring all that data into big uh, big prediction models. So when you've got a situation where there isn't that much data from the polar regions, uh, it impacts the the forecasting accuracy, I think. So yeah, this is a good uh, good inexpensive way to deal with that. Yeah, um, and it is it is nice that it's off the shelf, you know, like we like we said, cost is, and you know what? The other part about it is if you lose it, it's probably not a great loss. Exactly. You know, I mean, because flying in that environment is, you know, there's a potential of losing the aircraft no matter what. 
for icing or whatever reason. So, it, I mean, it's it's definitely a useful solution. Um, though it is sort of surprising that, you know, using drones for wind gathering just seems counterintuitive. But um, evidently, it's as long as the winds aren't like 200-mile-an-hour gusts, I think, I guess, the uh, Mavic hasn't, doesn't have a problem with that. Hey, we have a short video that we'll put in the show notes so you can see what this looks like. And that's at uh, the UAVdigest.com. Look for it there. Now, I got jealous because I spent all of last week doing my yearly inventory at the museum. I could have used drones taking the night ship for improved inventory tracking. And this is from Design World Online. Yeah, I would have loved to have drones do my inventory so I wasn't sitting there counting things one at a time. It's such drudgery. I remember doing annual inventory uh, at the company I worked for oh, 30, no, 40 years ago, maybe. God, it's hard to believe. And it was just miserable climbing up in racks and counting parts, you know, opening up boxes and checking the numbers and, and all that. Of course, that was all pre-barcode days in terms of a warehouse management system. But this article in Design World talks about a, a great solution. It's the uh, Vimane StoreTrack Air. It's an autonomous warehouse drone. And what it does is it scans the warehouse racks, delivering accurate inventory statuses to the warehouse management system. It doesn't just read barcode labels, it includes character recognition. So, I mean, it's just not only barcodes, but it, you can teach it to read specific words that thing for things that probably don't have a barcode. And what this does is it, it captures the entire contents of the warehouse racks. It creates a 3D map of the warehouse. They claim over 99.7% accuracy. And uh, as, as you might suspect, compared to other manual methods, it's faster, more efficient, and more accurate. You know what I like about it, Max, is it creates a 3D map. I'll remember where I put the stuff I'm looking for later in life. And for those of you that maybe haven't been in a situation, a manufacturing situation or a distribution center kind of a situation uh, where you've been exposed to this concept of maintaining ac uh, inventory accuracy, it's a really, really big deal. I mean, you need, you need accuracy to prevent stockouts, right? You don't want to have a customer order something and your system says, yeah, we you know, have three on the shelf and you go to, to pick the item and there's nothing there. You, you, need, you need accuracy, but you also need it for, their, for your financial reporting. And lots of methods have been used uh, for, uh, for this cycle counting and talk about annual inventory taking and, and frequently they're manual. Another aspect of this that the article brings out is uh, many times these storage systems, these rack storage systems are in high bays. And so while uh, you know, forklifts with big, uh, you know, they can lift up uh, high or even automated retrieval systems can go gather the, the items to, to be pulled. When it comes to taking inventory, uh, you, you don't want people climbing up there and checking or taking the time to bring stuff down to floor level, check it, count it, then send it back up. In this case, the drone just hovers about up there taking the inventory and you, you, know, you eliminate those problems with high base storage systems. 
So Star Trek Air is ideal for both e-commerce fulfillment centers as well as large B2B distribution centers with high bay pallets and case storage. The solution leverages Venman's powerful suite of cameras, sophisticated computer vision algorithms, and intuitively easy-to-use app, ViewCheck. It is accessible by inventory management specialists at the facility. So it, it would be kind of cool to be able to check all of my inventory on, a, on an app on my phone. Definitely, I'm going to look into this for maybe the 2023 inventory that will occur next January. Yeah, you should. That would be appropriate for the American Helicopter Museum to use, uh, you know, a little quadcopter quad to do my inventory. Yeah, absolutely. So our next one is um, our favorite letters and NPRM. The U.S. FCC proposes additional spectrum for drone communications. This always gets dicey, folks, but the um, FCC proposed a new spectrum rules for unmanned aircraft systems. And they need to do this because of the increasing number of drones being used. And, of course, they need wireless communication. So this NPRM, Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, makes licensed radio spectrum available in the 5 gigahertz band. We, uh, we'll put a link to the, the document, the, uh, rather the FCC page, uh, for this NPRM on our website in the show notes. And you can, you can peruse that. I'm not a wireless spectrum expert, but reading the NPRM, or at least uh, some of it, it notes that it addresses this, uh, 5030 to 5091 megahertz band, which was previously allocated to support terrestrial control links for UAS, but without adopting service rules. And uh, service rules for UAS operations, uh, according to the FCC, will likely require development in phases. And so this particular NPRM is, is kind of the first step, the first phase to develop these rules. So as always with NPRMs, they're seeking comments. Um, they're also, uh, besides the proposal or in addition to the proposal, looking for comments about uh, are, are the existing terrestrial mobile applications uh, adequate um, or do they in fact need to be changed? So if this is uh, something that, you know, you have some expertise in, some technical knowledge and some opinions, uh, the uh, FCC would love to hear from you. Yeah, and a process is also proposed for UAS operators to obtain a license in the aeronautical VHF, or a very high-frequency band, to communicate with air traffic control and other aircraft. That's kind of new, too, that we, you'd, be, you'd have to get a pilot's license or an operator's license, and then you'd also have to get a radio operator's license. So a um, little more regulation than we were sort of expecting and this is sort of kind of subtly dropped in there check it out if this is something that applies to uh, what you do uh, in this uh, industry well walmart drone delivery by the numbers now we'll say that this of course was put out by walmart so it's a little bit of propaganda or advertisements or whatever and this was from corporate walmart.com but 36 walmart stores in the U u.s now have drone delivery Operated by DroneUp, Flytrex, and Zipline. Yeah, 36 stores. I wasn't aware of that. Also, they say that these are operating in seven states, which I also didn't realize that it had grown to that number. 
but it's operating in uh, Virginia, North Carolina, Florida, Arkansas, Texas, Utah, and Arizona. Uh, interesting sort of more southern, let's say, uh, generally uh, states in the Union. Where the weather's good. Yeah, where the weather's good. So there's, they've completed 6,000-plus drone deliveries in 2022, which is surprising. So the five customer favorites for delivery by drone are, this is sort of not surprising, cookies, ice cream, rotisserie chicken, lemons, energy drinks, and paper towels. <laughs> not sure where the lemons come from. Yeah, that one threw me, too. I, I'm not sure what... <laughs> What the high demand is for quick delivery of lemons from Walmart. Uh, they do say that uh, they're looking at 30 minutes or less from order to delivery on these items, which is which is pretty nice. Yeah, and 85% of, of items in the neighborhood market meet weight, 10 pounds, and volume requirements for drone delivery. So that's a lot of the store as far as the supermarket end is concerned. Um, and then 4,700 Walmart stores are located within 90% of the U.S. population. Ah, but how many of them are located near airports? Well, there's that. So you'd have to discount the, the number with that. But yeah, taken with that previous statistic, it's, it's pretty impressive. Walmart stores covering 90% of the population and a typical Walmart store um, in a typical Walmart store, 85% of the items uh, are uh, suitable, at least based on weight and volume, for drone delivery. That's, that's a lot of product potentially to a lot of people. So uh, Walmart seems well positioned to do this. I do, you know, so it's taking 30 minutes or less. I'm wondering how the ice cream is doing, especially yeah. in places like Florida and Texas. You know, I, I mean, I, I'm just curious on on how if the ice cream is just getting to that nicely melted level or is it is it really good is it still pretty solid as it's being shipped in a in a container so maybe they're packing them with dry ice or something mm, that would be interesting so anybody who's had maybe walmart deliver stuff to them give uh give us an email to feedback at the uavdigest.com we'd love to hear what your experience was with drone delivery specifically and what did you get delivered and um how did it arrive etc so yeah be interested in hearing that for sure meet the scientists and their underwater drones tackling the weirdly complicated world of ocean carbon this was cbc.ca an underwater drone or glider nicknamed migaloo after a, a hunchback whale, is 1.5 meters long and has a pH sensor, and they're tracking ocean carbon. So that's a humpback whale, not a hunchback whale. <laughs> what did I say, a hunchback whale? <laughs> yeah, you said a hunchback whale. That's okay. It's, we, we get it's, the, it's the hunchback whale of, of, of um, I don't know, the Pacific Coast. Right. Uh, okay. Right. So this is under a, a program, one of David's filet favorite program. It's a pilot program. It's the Atlantic Carbon Observatory Pilot Program, ACOP. And yeah, they measure CO2 and pH that are ocean parameters that allow you to understand 
the, the global carbon sink, how much carbon is in the ocean. Apparently, a, a substantial amount of carbon ends up in the ocean. And so measuring that is important. Uh, and they can do that a couple of ways. One is to use a, a, a bottom observatory, something that's moored and uh, is at the sea floor. But these gliders, uh, they offer some real advantages. Um, the Slocum underwater glider is designed and manufactured by Teledyne Web Research. Named for Joshua Slocum, the first man to single-handedly sail around the world. The glider moves both horizontally and vertically and driven in a sawtooth vertical profile for variable buoyancy. So it goes up and down um, and it provides a bigger scope other than the perceived um, dropping down on the bottom and having an anchor monitor. So you're getting more of where um, the carbon is on the various levels of the ocean, not just towards the bottom. I think it's using this uh, changing buoyancy uh, as a propulsion method. So it's kind of, I don't know, it's, uh, I don't know how it does that, uh, how it varies the buoyancy. Um, but in any event, um, these uh, slocums, these gliders uh, are uh, you know, very advantageous in this kind of a situation where uh, so much of the, the global CO2 emissions uh, end up in, in the ocean. It notes that the North Atlantic is responsible for up to half of that. I don't know why the North Atlantic seems to have so much of this carbon in it, but uh, this is a great way to uh, uh, to measure it. The uh, the Slocum gliders are used by others uh, as well. If you search for Slocum underwater glider, and we'll have a a link in the show notes again to the to the web page where you can look at this, you'll find that these are used in a number of different applications. So let's talk, we've got from carbon, let's talk about electricity. This is from thehill.com. We must act now to protect the electric grid from drones. The electric grid system is vulnerable to attack. And um, I think, unfortunately, the war in uh, Ukraine has reemphasized the weakness of the infrastructure of the electrical grid here in the United States. Yeah, and we've seen that also in the United States with some uh, substations being attacked in North Carolina and Washington State. The fear here, and this is what this this is an opinion piece, and the fear here is that uh, UAS could be used for attacks. Now, there's something called the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, and they've been told to review the physical security standards, but the article here points out that that doesn't address airborne threats. Uh, you could have a big fence around it with a big lock. Uh, you could do anything like that to prevent uh, physical security attacks at, at ground level, but then you need to fly something overhead and it sort of negates all of that. Um, so the article is saying that, you know, we need to address this because uh, th these uh, facilities are not protected currently. And they're quoted as saying, in particular, they should leverage the progress that the national laboratories and Department of Defense are making to counter UAS or CEUAS for technology and systems. So move that from the um, Department of Defense and national laboratories, which we know have a counter UAS program, to more civilian infrastructure. 
And a big issue, of course, is that there are statutory restraints that limit the ability to uh, defend from drones. Uh, you, you can't shoot them down. You can't jam the radio signal. You know, there's all these limitations uh, currently, and we need to find a way to allow the electric infrastructure to protect itself from these kinds of potential attacks. So a lot of work needs to be done here. I mean, it does seem to me really a critical area that needs a lot of attention from a lot of different stakeholders uh, to make this happen. Hmm. I don't know where the impetus comes from. Seems like it ought to come from the, the federal government level, a, a regulatory approach. Otherwise, I don't know if much would happen. Well, wherever it comes from, let's hope it gets done because it was done proactively instead of reactionary to something catastrophic that had occur has occurred, and then eventually they'll they'll do they'll address the issue. So you know, it's a matter of like we've had over the last couple of weeks with the um, airspace infrastructure. You know, we had the the NOTAMs, the notice to air uh, missions system go down and that's an, a huge infrastructure even for UAS's as well as general aviation and civil aviation. So I mean these kind of things need to be looked at and addressed before they become national problems. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Our last story is from autoevolution.com. U.S. Navy drones passed long-range tests of unmanned cargo delivery to moving ships. Um, NAWCAD, or the Naval Air Warfare Center Aircraft Division, uh, recently demonstrated multiple unmanned systems in a first-of-a-kind mission to move supplies from ships at sea. They used two uh, VTOLs uh, for this testing, the Martin VBAT-128 and the Skyways V2.6 cargo aircraft. Um, the VBAT is uh, interesting. It has a ducted fan propulsion system. Um, it uses that for takeoff and landing in strong winds or on moving vessels. I mean, can you imagine landing <laughs> landing a drone on a, on a moving vessel in, on the seas with significant winds? Uh, it's not, a, not an easy task. Uh, it's pretty big, nine feet tall, nine point seven feet wide, and the the Martin V bat can uh, uh, fly for up to ten hours at a maximum altitude of twenty thousand feet, uh, or it can hover for forty five minutes before needing refueling. The um, what do we know about the Skyways V two point six cargo aircraft, David? There's not as much information about that one, I think. No, um, but it can reach. Um up to 600 miles from its departure point with a payload of 25 pounds. So it sounds like it's a smaller um, item. It's a fixed wing design and a hybrid electric powertrain. So, and it can be recharged mid flight. So um, that's kind of cool that, you know, it's got, a, it's got a fuel system as well as an electric that, so the fuel system charges the batteries and the power plant runs off the, uh, off the batteries. So, the criteria for this event was the ability to transport cargo under 50 pounds, the upper payload limit for 90% of the Navy's logistic deliveries, flying to and from moving ships. Now, like Max said, landing on a moving ship is not necessarily easy. 
Um, most people don't realize that quite often helicopters are actually winched down to uh, ships in high seas. The helicopter hovers, they hang a uh, hook onto the bottom of the aircraft, and they winch the aircraft down. So it's secure when it's when it fits on the deck. So this will be interesting to see how these these delivery drones compensate for that. Now, a fi- the fixed wing drone had a folding wing design, which is the uh, cargo aircraft. But it's it's interesting that you don't have the flexibility that you would have like with a vertical takeoff and landing, like the other the other one. Interesting. So I can I can really see why they need uh, tests and trials uh, of what sounds like a simple task on first look, right, landing a drone on a ship. But when you think about the the environmental conditions here, yeah, I think you I think you want to test this out pretty solidly before uh, proceeding with, uh, you know, with the next steps to implement this kind of uh, delivery. But if it's successful, I think, David, this would have just an enormous impact on the resupply operations of naval vessels. Absolutely. Um, vertical replenishment which is usually done by helicopters and now will eventually possibly be done by V-22 Ospreys or the CMV-22B is really important for our ships to forward deploy to be able to transfer supplies. Having some drones aboard that you could use to transfer from from ship to ship ship or ship to shore um, would ease the um, necessity of using such a large aircraft like a V-22. And for small cargoes, it's a much more efficient way of, of delivering um, payloads from one ship to another, whereas the old way used to be it more came alongside and you shot lines across and you slid the stuff across the lines. But this would be a much more efficient way to um, deliver payloads. All right. Well, with that, we'll wrap it up and... Thank you for listening to episode 418 of the UAV Digest. Uh, as uh, always, you can find us at theuavdigest.com. Show notes will have links to all the articles, the companies we talk about, other resources, some videos. We have a couple of other videos that are related to some of these stories, and they're all there at the website. And, of course, you can find us on the Internet. Um, both Max and I are on LinkedIn and the various social media platforms as well as you can find our um, website at uavdigest.com or dronepodcast.com. You can send us an email to feedback at the UAV Digest. You can join our Slack listener team, and you do that by sending us, again, an email to feedback at the uavdigest.com. But most of all, tell your friends, and we'd love hearing from you, so um, drop us a line. So with that, I'm going to say this is David in Delaware. In Max, currently, let's see, where am I? Currently in Maryland. Thanks for listening. <laughs>